love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski here with my co-host Haley Chura. And Haley, we were a little up in the air about when we would be recording today because of my schedule, which hasn't been too jam-packed lately because I'm not really full on training and racing or doing too much just yet. But Matt, my partner Matt, had a very big race this past weekend and I got to witness this race. And Haley, it was one of the more impressive feats of endurance that I have seen in quite a while. And I, I'm so excited to tell you about this today. Okay. So are you, you're spectating, you're cheering. I think you are crewing as well. So this was, this was very active, active, uh, witnessing of this endurance feat, right? It was very active. And so I was, I was crewing for this race. And so it was, it, it was crewing in the sense of I am now as exhausted as I feel like I did a feat of endurance over the weekend. And so I think that's, that's how crewing, like a, crewing usually works. Yeah. I feel like you have all the <laughs> crews get like all the physical exertion plus like worry. Right. <laughs> true. True. And you don't fuel as well. Right. So it's actually right. worse for the crew. <laughs> um, but so this race is it's called last skier standing and it was a brainchild of someone in the Northeast who, um, you know, had been hearing about like backyard ultras for running where you run, you know, a loop every hour on the hour and you continue going until there's like the last person standing. Um, and then they were like, oh, you know, like we should do this for skiing where the skiers skin up the mountain and then ski down and they ski a lap every hour on the hour. And so... I mean, there's so a this lot is of ways. cross country skiing, like skate skiing. No, this is like skinning downhill, downhill, like alpine skiing. Oh, so uh, like, like touring. So you put touring. like skins and then you put, get to the top and you pull the skins off the transition. And you... Yeah. And then when you get okay. to the bottom again, you have to like reset yourself up for the transition back to skinning. And so the crews have to like do a lot of that work. Right. So you can like ease the job for your racer by like knowing how to do the skins and the transition for them in that like start finish area. Um, so that they could like immediately finish the lap and go rest and eat and do whatever. Um, and you prep the skis and get them all ready. And then they go off again on the hour. And so this race is called last year standing. It's been going on for a few years and become kind of like a cult classic in the Northeast at least, but it's beginning to attract attention from out West. And like someone was there from Alaska, I think this year, which was pretty cool. And it's so I was very curious to see. So Matt also had done um, a backyard ultra, the running version in October. And he actually did that kind of to like prep for what last year's standing, like last year's standing was always kind of a big goal of his. And then since neither of us had ever done a backyard style, we wanted to see kind of like do a, a dry run, right? Like get our, get to kind of experience it a little bit, see how it feels, kind of prep the crew side of it. Cause that is so important. And so we felt pretty ready going into this weekend. And I mean, it was, it was crazy. So it's in the Northeast, right? So it's held in Maine at a, like one of the smaller little ski resorts. Um, I wouldn't even really call it a ski resort, maybe like a ski hill. Um, and it's called Black Mountain of Maine. 
and they had about 150 starting skiers and Haley, it is now, so it started on Friday, started at Friday at 10 AM. We are now recording this on Monday at 1120 AM currently. And so three 72 hours, right? Later or so 73 hours later and Haley, Spoiler alert, because I'm available to record, Matt is no longer in the race, but the race is still going on. There are still three guys out there skiing a lap every hour on the hour, and they have been doing that for the past, we actually, it's the past 72 hours, because on Saturday, this like freak thunderstorm rolled through, and so they had to like call the racers in and delay, so like one of the laps kind of started, but then it was like a little kerfuffle, so one of the laps doesn't count, so they're in hour 73 of the race on lap 73 maybe i don't know you guys understand Wait, how big is a lap how big is a lap how many miles i mean do we measure it in miles yeah so the lap is three miles about round trip so it's a mile and a half up with 1200 feet of elevation gain which is like pretty steep right it's like not nothing um and so it's about are they following like each other's tracks like i don't know a ton about ski touring but like I mean, are you like, are you like zigzagging, switchbacking up the climb, following each other's tracks? And then, you know, you have your skins on there for traction and then you mm-hmm. pull the skins off as fast as you can and then ski down. Are you skiing down the same slope or hopefully not, I guess, because there's probably people going up while you're going down. Yeah. So I believe my world was like so isolated to the like tent that I lived in for the the two days that I was there. So I didn't get to see too much of it. I believe that they they definitely are. So they're basically in a Congo line, like going up the mountain, you know, one at a time, maybe two abreast or something like that. But in general, they are following the same tracks. And I think you kind of have to like stay left on your your way up. There's like a designated route for the uphill. And then I think some of it overlaps with the downhill, but not all of it necessarily. I think sometimes on the uphill, they kind of like take you into the tree a little bit, trees and like push you up um, the trail that way. Um, and since the resort was open to the public during the day, there were sometimes, you know, like on the downhill, other skiers out and about that you were like looking for. And then I think since the resort closes at a certain time at night, that changes the uphill route slightly. Like then they would go to the night route where I think it was like slightly more direct up the slope. Um, again, I could be wrong. That was just kind of what I was hearing. I was, I was just mostly focusing on what I needed to be doing because, Matt was skiing his laps in about like 45 minutes or so. And so 15 minutes is not a lot of time to clean the skis of snow and ice, get them prepped, get him like whatever he needs and things like that. We had some great friends come in to be helping me, thank goodness, because it was a lot to manage. But um, but it was it was hard. It was like very, very intense brewing. That's for sure. How cold was it for you? Because you're not moving very much. I mean, did you have like a little like heater for yourself did you get to take a nap so so we got really lucky that it was warm by winter standards in the northeast right I think it was like the coldest was probably only 30 degrees and it actually got up close to 50 with like sunshine on Saturday which felt like really hot it still felt kind of cold to be honest to us but um for the skiers it felt really really warm they were skiing like shirtless for a lot of the laps in the daytime but when you you're exactly right like when you're not moving it's cold you know and so at one point I think I had like seven layers on including like three puffy jackets (laughs) so um so that was that was definitely challenging but I was just kept thinking of like I'm lucky that it is actually like this because it very well in the northeast could be like zero degrees and they could be doing this so did you have any snow come in during it because I feel like that could also change things that would be the we didn't we had that weird thunderstorm it was crazy like a, a summer thunderstorm it felt like yeah and so 
with the temperature it swings, it rained, it poured. Like they all came oh my in goodness. soaking wet and then it's like cold, right? So, I mean, that added to this whole element and then the snow was wet and then it got cold at icy. night and it was icy, right? Which is like, I think everyone in the North Wait, how far did Matt that. make it? Like how many so laps did he do? He timed out on the, his 39th lap. So he made it really far. He made it into the top 10. So he was, he was the ninth skier standing, um, which is, is pretty cool. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to like these types of backyard style ultras. I just, my respect for them continues to grow and grow. And I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, like thinking of the guys who have gone super far, Courtney DeWalter at bigs, right? Like set those kinds of records. Like it's so much about the physical abilities for sure. Um, but then it's also, I mean, the mental ability, the, the capability to overcome the sleep deprivation, and then just like the logistics of planning. Like when you see the crews of the people who are still out there skiing, the three people, those crews, like you walk into their little like tent area and it was like an REI catalog, right? Like so organized and like everything was like in its place, every type of whatever you could possibly imagine you could ever need. Right. So it is a lot about like, Oh, see, I would have thought these were like like simpler, like, like the kind of thing that like I could do by myself and like set up a little like area, like a towel and just have a few things there set for myself. And I'm like, when I come in, I'll just grab a food. And some people totally do, which I guess is also another cool draw of the event. Like uh, there was one guy who made it 66 laps. He had no crew. He was doing it all himself, um, changing his skins, like no big deal. Um, and he, yeah, he had his little setup there. And I think that's, you know, you go into it creating kind of what you want out of it, but, um, it's, it's cool to see how, like how far, I mean, they'll go, they are, they look really, really tired now, but they also are moving. Like it's been showing lap times. And so, I mean, those three guys, the deviation in their lap times has not been like too crazy at all. So, um, so that was, that was how I spent my weekend. I was like, in so a, after 39 labs, 40 hours of skiing, probably more of actually being there, all that kind of thing. What do you do? Do you go, do you go sleep? Yes, drive home? Yes. <laughs> no, I, so we had rented like an Airbnb through the weekend in the town there. Cause that was part of the thing was like, you know, what if he makes had, it 72 hours <laughs> if he makes it, and I was like, I need to sleep. And at the one in October, I tried to sleep in the car in the parking lot. And then I was like, okay, now it's going to be like way colder sleeping in a car is pretty hard. And also I just like, when I'm still there, my mind like really still worries. And so it, it definitely was more helpful for me to like, take all the wet clothes, go to the Airbnb to do the laundry. And then like, just be like, I'm stuck here. There's no use in worrying because I'm like here doing this. And so that actually did allow me to get, um, a few hours of sleep at least on Friday night. And then Saturday, like since it started at 10 AM, it was probably 8 PM on Saturday when things started to look kind of like, oh, he's slowing down. Like it, you know, his body's really just not, has no more pep in the step. So that was when we tried to just kind of push through. And then when he was done, I think it was like 1 AM. So, so it is, it's like, you're now 1 AM in this like little town in Maine. So it was definitely the right move to do that and allow us to like get some food rest and stuff before we make the drive home. But, um, but it was super cool. It's such a, it is an also, I do love the event because it's like an equalizer, I think for men and women to both be like on a pretty level playing field. I think the gear does help like the people with the lighter skis and the lighter setups definitely have a pretty good advantage getting them up the mountain and stuff. But, um, but it's cool. I think for people who are thinking about that, maybe not even with skiing, but with running, I, I think it's a cool event to try. 
are we going to see you on the start line for one of these? I feel like this is kind of your thing, the sleep deprivation and just continuing to go. Would you do running or skiing or both? So I I would definitely do running. Um, I, I do think one of those will be in my future at some point, but, um, and I, I like, I love skiing. I love the idea of last skier standing, but the conditions are just not, I don't think I trust my ski abilities. Like you have to be a pretty good skier to ski through the night tired and like, when you have 150 people doing laps, like the conditions change every time. And it's like, you know, there's ruts and bumps and things like that happening. And so I, Matt was kind of like, we need to work on your skiing before we think before we have you enter the skiing version. But, um, but I think it's fun. Like it does, I don't mind the monotony of it. I think that's like part of the draw to it too, for me. So I think at some point you will be seeing me foray into some backyard ultra style stuff for sure. How is, how is Matt feeling? Like, I know he's an accomplished Ironman athlete. Also, does he say how it compares to, to something like a big one day event, like Ironman? Um, I think the sleep is really hard. Like you definitely just feel that sleep deprivation. And for this one, it seemed like since skiing, isn't like terribly hard on your legs, people didn't look super beat up, but their feet, Haley, some people's feet we're getting so bad, which initially like you don't really think of, cause again, they're not running. It's not like, you know, you don't think of, boots, you think of like running. can be brutal. Oh yeah. Like super sweaty, super clammy. And if people didn't have, you know, extra boot liners, tons of pairs of socks to be changing through someone to go dry their socks out. Right. Like all of that stuff. If you don't have that, your feet, it's like really bad. So the, the foot stuff mm-hmm. is pretty epic that you can <laughs> see at this stuff, but, um, with skiing, since it's such a, low intensity thing too. the things people eat is also really interesting because they can, you know, you can pretty much eat like more meals and like more sustenance, I guess. And so that was kind of interesting too, just seeing what people were rolling with there. Um, but it's really fun. It's a big community event and yeah, I'm very curious to see, um, how far it's going to go. Yeah. So you made it back in time to watch the Super Bowl. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I mean, that was the other big athletic event. I know we cover women's sports, but it was Taylor Swift Super Bowl and the winner was Beyonce. I don't know if you heard. Oh no, no. So that I, I do feel like I missed a lot of things. I kind of, I was trying to stay awake for the first half of the Super Bowl. I caught a little bit of the halftime show, but my brain was only functioning at half speed yesterday for good reason. So I do, I need some details. I need to know what I've missed. The Chiefs won. Did you catch that okay. part? <laughs> well, I did wake up and see that, but it was close. And Beyonce, Beyonce's like announced a new album. I mean, so we've had an album announcements the last two Sundays that you have slept through, but big ones, country album. So exciting coming out in March. And so, I mean, March, Beyonce, April, Taylor Swift. I mean, I don't know what I've done to deserve this, this kind of good news, but I am loving it. The only hard thing is that my last two Sundays have just been like these roller coasters of emotion and stress and, um, and I didn't even go to Japan in between, but I, um, I'm like, what am I going to do next Sunday when there's like no album announcement, when there's no Taylor Swift on my TV? I mean, I guess I'll go to sleep like a normal person and normal time. I don't know. I'll, I'll follow your lead. I don't on know. That. I, th- I th- yeah, I think that's overrated. So maybe something will happen. Something will pop out of the woodworks for us, but, um, I have spent a good portion of my day now catching up on. Yeah, the social media of the, the all the things I missed um, with with Taylor Super Bowl. 
this the social media is is I mean that's like one nice thing about the internet is that you can like catch up on these things the next morning and it's even almost better because you get like every angle right so our favorite endurance athlete Taylor Swift is still at it I mean now she's on her way I think she goes to Australia soon um right back on tour it's we don't know how she does it but we can aspire to to follow that lead and apparently Beyonce too this is like rubbing off on other artists you just got to like create art all the time but as an art consumer I'm here for it I know as long as they're taking care of themselves then you know yes, I'm here yes, for please it. take care of yourself <laughs> please take care of yourself please yeah it's okay to take a break we, we will survive but um but yeah no I other than that just big training weekend for me I'm starting to feel a little fitter which is exciting and you know I like that feeling and um we've had some decent weather around here too so not much to complain about just plugging along cool well Haley, I did check the mailbag before hopping on here and there was no official mailbag this week, but I did want to read this text that I got from an athlete of mine because the podcast is sponsored by Pillar Performance and we use Pillar Magnesium, um, the triple magnesium like recovery supplement that they, they do. And I got a text from my athlete, Megan, and she says, I'm going to give this five stars for the product. Um, She's tried magnesium in the past and quit because I couldn't tell the difference. This one is working. Generally, the week before my period, I get terrible anxiety and even sleep on the couch half the nights, some nights because I have anxious thoughts and can't sleep. This is giving me beautiful dreams and full sleeps through the night. Still anxious during the day, but easier to handle with the sleep, which like is huge. That makes sense. Um, and she recommends it for anyone that gets sleep disturbance as part of PMS symptoms. So I thought that that was a pretty good review. And I know we've talked about it. You have been using pillar triple magnesium. I started using it as I'm training a little bit more and I would, I would agree with this review. I know it's interesting what she said about dreams because I did take some pillar last night and then I woke, I was having a dream. I swear it was about Taylor Swift and Beyonce. And then my alarm went off and I was like, what is that noise? It was, I was a little bit offended because I think whatever was happening was really great, but maybe it was the pillar. So maybe I can just keep taking it, get back to it. I do want to say one thing I, I like, I've done a little research into magnesium as I've been like using this. And I do, for me, magnesium does not like help me fall asleep. And so I've started to take it actually a little bit earlier, like after my last workout, but not necessarily like 30 minutes before sleep or, you know, I usually take it an hour or more because for some reason it does not, it does not make me fall asleep at all, but I do think it helps me sleep deeper and maybe have some of those dreams. And yeah, if anything, anything that will help with anxiety, send it my way. <laughs> <laughs> and our feisty listeners can always go to thefeed.com slash pillar and use code feisty for 15% off. I believe that's correct. Is that correct? Haley? Yes. And if you're international, you can go to pillarperformance.shop and use that same code feisty, F-E-I-S-T-Y for 15% off your first time purchase. All right. Well, I think we're ready to jump into our interview this week. And Haley, this week I talked to professional triathlete, Gabby Lunkus, and she had a breakthrough race into the top five at La Quinta 70.3 this past December. So she talks to me about entering the pro scene with the help of the USAT collegiate recruitment program, how she balanced becoming a veterinarian with being a pro triathlete, recent life changes to focus more on triathlon and what she's looking forward to in 2024. So we'll hear from Gabby next after a word from our sponsors. Happy New Year, Iron Women podcast listeners. 
For those of you new to the show, we want to tell you about Pillar. Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrates products that will take you through to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. After seeing athletes like 2022 Ironman world champion Chelsea Sidero and 2016 Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen post about using Pillar to improve their sleep performance, I decided to give Pillar triple magnesium a try. I take it about 60 minutes before bed and I do actually feel like I sleep deeper and recover better. In the same way I love to start my day with a coffee, I now wind it down with a cup of Pillar triple magnesium and recover better for tomorrow's training. If you would like to make Pillar part of your 2024 New Year routine and you're in the U.S., head to thefeed.com slash Pillar and enter code FEISTY for 15% off of your first purchase. For our international listeners, head to PillarPerformance.shop and that's code FEISTY for 15% off of all first-time purchases. Alyssa, AminoCo has been a longtime podcast sponsor, and every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our AminoCo ad, I'm always shocked to hear how AminoCo co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive, and it gives me a lot of confidence Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? For Perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for Heal, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla Heal is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. The winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. <laughs> I don't know, make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to AminoCo.com slash Ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using AminoCo products. Then select your favorite products and use code Ironwomen for 30% off at checkout. First time purchases also come with a free gift. That's AminoCo.com forward slash Ironwomen and code Ironwomen for 30% off. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the Ironwomen podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So I'm talking to you in early January. So it's kind of a good time to ask first, where are you stationed right now? Like, what are you 
doing with training and life and like, what does it all kind of look like for you at this moment? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm located right now in Littleton, Colorado. And so it's like about 30 minutes outside of Denver. Um, so Southwest kind of towards the mountains. Um, and then training wise, um, just coming off, you know, I raced early December um, in California, Indian Wells, um, and then took kind of a nice, healthy, you know, break, just, you know, still stayed active, but just really made sure I gave myself a good mental break. Um, and so now I'm just kind of getting back into training routine and just like a nice consistent schedule, which I'm enjoying. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I'm also working, uh, part-time, um, I'm a small animal veterinarian right now. So, um, I work, you know, Monday, Tuesdays, um, a little bit longer days, and then the rest of my days are, um, free for full force training. Oh, nice. If I had talked to you four hours earlier, I would be asking you my like vet question of the day, which I feel like I always have. Cause one of my dogs is like so accident prone and he's so fragile, but, oh. um, spoiler alert, I managed to deal with the broken dew claw myself. So that was very exciting. Nice. <laughs> Bravo. That's um, but Gabby, I have to also ask, given this time of year, are you a new year's resolution person? Like, mm -hmm. did you make any new year's resolutions either <laughs> athletically or personally that you would care to share with us? Yeah, I mean, um, I think just kind of like reevaluating goals for the year um, and then kind of, you know, with my coach, a big thing is just doing simple well. So I think I've always been kind of a more uh, in the moment person. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I mean, I have like some bigger goals like in the back of my head, but I feel like, um, you know, just doing the consistent things and training day by day and um, really just kind of all the all the small choices around that um, are kind of the big thing that that I focus on. So, um, I mean, I think right now it's just consistency and um, doing all my training like really, really well and then um, kind of adding layers of complexity on, you know, as the year goes on. And so I do want to back like, way up now because mm -hmm. I think you fall into kind of a unique class of pro triathletes mm -hmm. that at least for your like I think actually your draft legal race mm -hmm. too so you were like starting your pro career just as the pandemic hit and so mm -hmm. I think if my like internet stalking is correct yeah. your first race in the draft legal scene was March of 2020 which we all know was like a crazy time and then mm -hmm it looks like things were kind of just shut down. So what was that time like for you? How did you pivot? Like what, just thinking back, you know, it probably feels like forever ago now, but you know, put yourself back in that time and kind of what was it like to be a new pro starting out and have that happen? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, so my kind of background, I went through the collegiate recru recruitment program through USA triathlon. So, um, you know, I feel like I had a lot of like coaching support and just a lot of like really great mentors at the time, which was huge. Um, but yeah, I, I literally remember being in Florida and booking flights that were super cheap. Cause I was like, Oh, there's this thing going on, you know, across the <laughs> world, but um, you know, I'm getting this super cheap flight. Like, you know, there's, you know, there's no way anything's going to happen. And then I ended up having to get refunds on all my flights, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, so I was, gosh, would have been, in my third year of veterinary school. So going into my clinical year. So, um, yeah, I mean, started out, you know, with that race and was excited just to get race experience. Like I, I feel like at that level starting out, especially in the draft legal pathway, so much of it is just experience with bike handling and race tactics. And, um, it's just a very technical format. 
Um, and so, you know, I was kind of starting to get into all of that and just getting to learn kind of trial by fire a bit. Um, and so then, yeah, then for me, you know, everything was, was pretty much shut down and it was just kind of this, this big training block. Um, and then, yeah, to, to be honest, like after that in my clinical year of vet school, um, so our rotations got shortened. So we were just doing these like two week blocks and um, a lot of mine were in different locations. So um, it was pretty chaotic um, in terms of like even, you know, training, but then also for race schedule. So um, I feel like that was kind of a, you know, train as much as I can year. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, I couldn't get super creative with race opportunities just because you know, my time was so, so fragmented with school. Um, so then kind of got like, was able to do that then kind of 2021, once I had graduated and coming out of the pandemic, then picked back up my racing schedule as I was working as a, a veterinarian in Vermont. Okay. And so yeah. you, you mentioned you were part of USAT's collegiate recruit, mm-hmm. recruitment program. And so was that, it sounds like, was that during like your vet school or was that during undergrad or? That was during vet school. Yeah. So okay. I, Um, I ran my first three years of undergrad and then my first two years of veterinary school continued to run, um, for Purdue. Uh, just, we just had an amazing support staff at the vet school that was willing, like all my professors were willing to work with me for competing and, um, you know, just making up classes or exams. Um, and so my first years of vet school continued to run for Purdue and then transitioned into CRP, like right in between my second and third year of vet school. So, um, you know, I had that summer, obviously, since I was in school, but then, um, but then, yeah, continued to race and compete through veterinary school. Um, and then after I graduated, so a little bit of an unconventional story. Yeah, it's so interesting, though. And I think, you know, the college recruitment program is is a really important pathway um, that USAT has, and it has some great opportunities and a lot, like you said, of coaching support and just, I think, mentorship and things like that. So, um, you know, did they find you? Did you find them? I think, you know, I hope we have some women out there who, um, you know, are racing NCAA right now and like might be, you know, thinking about it or or thinking Mm -hmm. even about going and racing collegiately. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how does one get involved in that program? Yeah. So, um, for me, I had actually seen their recruitment tent at our, um, regional meet for, for, uh, track. So I was a steeplechaser in college. Um, and I was like, Oh, like, you know, what's this like USA (laughs) triathlon tent doing here. And so I think at the time they, they had been kind of wrapping up, so I didn't get to talk to someone then, but, um, the woman at the town was like, yeah, like contact, you know, contact Barb Lindquist was the program coordinator at the time. Um, and then it switched over to Joe Malloy when I, kind of in the process of me entering. And so, um, yeah, so I just sent her over like my, my times, my background, and she was like, yeah, great. We'd love to have you. And so it just kind of, um, took off from there, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing program. Um, I mean, they, I know recruit at least I, it might've shifted a little bit now, but at the time, you know, they recruited, um, NCAA swimmers or runners with, you know, experience in the opposite sport, um, and just like really helped, you know, with the bike portion and the bike handling and, um, I went to a, a camp at the um, U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just got to kind of have like a, a nice kind of crash course course there. And so, um, yeah, I was really, really uh, fortunate and grateful for that program for sure. So but yeah, highly appreciate it for anyone, anyone out there. <laughs> that's awesome. And what about, you know, before Purdue, Mm-hmm. What was like life like athletically for you kind of growing up and through high school? What's your background in sport? 
Yeah. So um, I came from a really active family. Um, I had done a couple like little local triathlons with, um, you know, with my family. Um, it's just myself and I have one older brother. Um, and then growing up, I, we had a really great swim team. I'm from Hershey, Pennsylvania. And so, um, we had a really great team there. Um, great like club. And then also kind of that coincided, you know, with the high school, like a lot of the club kids were, um, at Hershey high school as well. So I swam and ran in high school, um, and was always bouncing back and forth. So I would, uh, would do cross country in the fall then like jump right into winter swimming, you know, without the preseason, which coaches didn't always love um, for swimming. And then, um, you know, would swim, gosh, you know, through like early spring, jump into track and then go into summer swimming for clubs. So I was always just kind of bouncing back and forth between the two sports. Um, and I just, yeah, just doing both just made me really happy. And um, I think I, yeah, just, uh, just was really passionate about, you know, getting, getting to kind of keep doing both and, um, keep learning and growing through that. So, um, yeah, but lots of hiking, uh, like water sports, different skiing <laughs> growing up with my family. So really active. Um, we were always doing stuff outside together. Oh, that's awesome. And then, yeah. um, okay. So you are in the CRP program and then going out of that, you go to Burlington, Vermont to be mm -hmm. a vet. You mm -hmm. are, do you have the same coach at that point? from when you were in the CRP program or did you, you know, like find a different coach to kind of take you to the like post program time period? Yeah. Yeah. So I switched coaches when I went to Vermont, um, and started working with my current coach now, Derek Williamson, um, who's actually out of Colorado Springs. Um, so yeah, I've been working with him, him since, um, yeah, almost, yeah, just, just like a really, really great, um, kind of transition. Um, yeah. And then was working as a, a large animal vet there. So <laughs> cattle, sheep, goats, some pigs, um, all the farm animals. So with the, uh, with the whole outside trend. <laughs> so yeah, um, so that's definitely my, uh, my passion, but yeah. And Derek, Derek's wife is Kelly, right? Who yeah, is yeah. quite a, quite a yeah. notable professional triathlete yeah. in her own rank. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's been, Oh, I miss racing Kelly in those <laughs> days. Those were the good old days. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, going to vet school then, you know, being full-time for a large animal vet, that's like pretty intense, right? Um, training a lot, like trying to, what was your mindset? Like, like, were you kind of thinking about professional triathlon as like a career? Were you like, Oh, this is just a hobby that I really want to mm -hmm. do as well as I can at what were you kind of thinking at that point in time? Yeah, definitely. Definitely as a career. Um, I mean, I think I was just kind of trying to you know, trying to make it work and get, you know, get some experience in veterinary medicine as a new grad um, and just kind of, you know, hang in there for a period of time just to kind of get, you know, get my feet under me. But then, um, you know, I think I think I <laughs> probably a little too, you know, optimistic as far as like recovery goes and what my body needs. And so, um, I mean, you know, just if, you know, emergency calls on on farm and um, I mean, I, I loved it and I like had the most amazing clinic and it was, it was really, really hard. Lots of tears were shed. It was like hard for me to leave that, even though I knew it was the right decision. Um, and you know, just large animal I loved as well, but I think I just kind of hit this like crossroads where I was like, okay, I'm like just drawing myself thin in in kind of both areas. Um, you know, I'm like having to get up from time to time when I'm on call at 3am for a calving and like, I think just seeing like, okay, like this is obviously like 
in no way the optimal training, you know, training situation. And so I kind of just hit this point where I was like, okay, either I want to like pivot and go for try, or like, I need to kind of make, try, take the back burner, which, um, yeah, I just, I mean, I think, I think for me, I like always knew the answer. Like I, I always wanted to see what I could do, you know, fully and try and kind of give that a go. So, um, yeah, so I, th- I think the mindset was probably a little too optimistic to start of like, <laughs> you know, I think I can do both of these at a high level. Like this is what I did in school. Um, but I just think, you know, over time, like, you know, lack of recovery and, um, you know, adequate time from time to time to train, like we could get creative, but at the end of the day, you only have so many hours in a day. So, um, yeah, just having a little more time for try was, you know, really helpful making that transition and, and definitely a big goal of mine for sure. Okay. And so, you know, you're at this fork in the road, kind of looking at these two paths and you, you do, you take the leap. You, I think it's March of 2022 that you kind of, you know, decide to go all in on triathlon. Um, what were, you know, did you have conversations with your coach Derek about like how to prepare for that moment? You know, were there things that you really wanted to make sure we're like in line race results wise, or like, what was your, I think a lot of people look at that decision and they're at that point and they can't figure out if their boxes are checked enough, right. To make that next step. So did you have boxes checked or did you just take the leap of faith? Yeah. I mean, gosh, I think like a little bit of both. I mean, I think I knew going full-time would open up a lot more time for training. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's always been my goal to make, try something where it's self-sustaining. Um, and so I think, you know, that's somewhat of a, a practical goal, you know, like there's obviously the financial piece of it, which is, is really challenging. Um, and, you know, grateful for like just different little local sponsors from home and, you know, things like that, that just made it feasible for me. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, my husband was also working at the time, so we could kind of figure out how to make it work It you know, it's like scrappy, but <laughs> we made it work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think I had some like goals for races and, you know, just kind of, kind of wanted to be able to, to take that, like take that next step and just have like these kind of big jumps and, you know, my performance goals for sure. But, um, at the same time, knowing too, just like, again, kind of with the nitty gritty of just the day in day out of training, like that's what most of it is. And so I think just, you know, doing that, having the opportunity to like nail my recovery really well, um, to like hit all of my sessions to like be able to like be off my feet, um, you know, kind of all those things, um, and just kind of, kind of transitioning and learning, learning how to unwind, you know, some of the like, hurry, 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 of what I had always been used to, because I would just, you know, go outside, come home quick shower for, you know, and then go get out to work. And so um, I think just, you know, learning how to do some of those like little things outside of, you know, what my busy life was before was also huge um, and really like instrumental um, for me, you know, moving forward with my career. And so we're coming up now almost, I think on like two years then for you Mm -hmm. to be in, in Colorado. And so, you know, how has it been? I feel like, did you guys, think about going somewhere that doesn't have winter, you know, you're like uh, went yeah. from Burlington to Colorado. So yeah, like, yeah. how did you kind of settle in on, on Colorado? Was it because your coach would be there and that would be, make a lot of sense? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, so we actually, so we moved from Vermont. We've actually only been in Colorado for about a year now. Um, but yeah, so my, you know, my coach and then kind of when we made this transition. Uh, my husband's a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and then, uh, also an athlete as well. 
um, not triathlete, <laughs> but um, he bobsled and then uh, rugby. But okay. Um, but yeah, so I think like for us, like at that time, I was like, you know, like when we were in Vermont, I was like, you know, there's nothing, you know, apart from his job, which he really loved, but you know, he knew he could kind of pivot as long as we were in a populated area um, for his job. So it was just like, you know, we like we can move somewhere else. Like obviously the winters were pretty tough in Vermont. Um, and then just in terms of like groups, I had a great master's group, but um, I think it was hard finding a lot, like a lot of other pros. And so um, pros are even just, you know, just different athletes that were like really into it um, as well. Um, you know, just a smaller, smaller sample size, right? It's a tiny state. Um, so, um, you know, so then with my coach being in Colorado Springs and then, you know, just some like job opportunities, um, for Matt, like it was, you know, kind of an easy, an easy switch. And then from altitude, um, and then interestingly enough, a bunch of my former teammates from Purdue are like all in this like little 15 minute radius here. So, um, it was just a pretty like smooth, stress-free community, um, like when we first moved out here, we lived with um, like my best friend and her husband, we like rented their downstairs from them. And so, um, so it was just like a really nice, yeah, really nice transition. Um, it, it is cold here, but like, you know, in the afternoons, if it's 40 or 50 degrees and sunny, like you can get out for um, a, a nice solid ride as long as, you know, you have appropriate gear. So, um, you know, and then the sunshine just really helps <laughs> for keeping it nice and warm. So um, and then a lot more like training facilities too. So, um, I think that was kind of, those were kind of, I know it's a lot of pieces, but those are kind of yeah. all the how to, how to switch. No, that makes sense. Do your teammates, are any of them still running competitively? Like, are they training partners for you two now in the area? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a couple, um, like some that'll just like still go out for runs so I can do my easy stuff with them. And then, um, some that are like, you know, training for half marathon or marathon that I've been able to go out and run with. So, um, yeah, that's just been, been amazing. And, um, there's just lots of really pretty like trails and, um, really accessible things where we are too, to like get out and, you know, go enjoy it. So, yeah, that's super fun to like take it into the next chapter with yeah. the women that you ran in, in college with. So, um, Gabby, I do want to talk about your season. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't bring you here just to talk about all the other stuff. Uh, so last year I think was your first year in the long course scene. So at what point did that kind of come into play? Now we've talked about how like you, you did a draft legal race right before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So coming out of that, um, you know, doing draft legal racing, when did you start to talk about going to long course 70.3 racing? Yeah. So like four to six weeks before St. George. Wow. Okay. Um, so I had raced, uh, in Cuba and then in Florida, uh, for draft legal. So I had, you know, just my road bike and, um, yeah, I was just talking to Derek and, you know, we just felt like there were some strengths that were kind of untapped that we, we weren't seeing in the draft legal that we felt like could be really beneficial for long course. And so, um, I was like pretty open to the idea and, um, funny enough, like my, my, uh, roommate. So my best friend's husband, um, he was actually racing St. George and they were driving out there. So we were like, all right, let's all just like <laughs> do it together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we all drove out together and, um, yeah, just decided to kind of go for it that race. So had like I mean, don't look at any pictures from my bike. Like it was like my road bike fit with just like these clip on arrow bars and probably horrible for my body. I do not suggest like get a bike fit. Um, but I was just like working with what I had at the time. And so, 
Um, yeah, so that was hence the road bike at St. George, but yeah, so we just kind of, just kind of decided to try it and, um, ended up feeling like there was a lot of potential there. And so, uh, just kind of rolled with it from there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if Taylor Nib has shown the triathlon world, anything, it's that you can race quite strong on a road bike, right? Yes, it's about, it's about sure. the motor, not always the bike. And so, um, you know, and that race was really successful for you, which is probably why you thought there was a lot of potential there. It was the North American championship. So mm -hmm. super competitive environment and you ended up 10th. So you found your way into the top 10 in that first long course race. Uh, what surprised you about racing, you know, non-drafting now that after coming, you know, from weeks before being in the draft? Yeah. Race? yeah um, I mean, this, applies to draft legal racing as well but I think just you know just truly the fact that in those races that are that long like anything can happen um and I think also just how much like I just I just did really enjoy it like it was just kind of a fun new <laughs> new kind of event um but yeah I just feel like you know between you know nutrition and GI issues or someone cramps like it's it's just like it really just feels like it can be anyone's day and just things can kind of stack up um, in any way, shape or form. And so, um, I, I think I kind of had that, you know, had that idea in the back of my head, but then in the race, there were just like some opportunities where I was like, oh, wow. Like, um, okay, great. Like move up, move up. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I just think that was kind of like, yeah, that, that was probably, probably the most surprising. And then just, you know, how much like fueling program matters. Um, cause you know, my races were an hour to two hours. And so, you know, you had to fuel appropriately, but, I mean, I don't know that you can necessarily take as much carbohydrates and sodium in. And so, um, I think just like really nailing like nutrition plan and just kind of like sticking to those, you know, those little things too, um, you know, were pretty huge. And that kind of surprised me how important, important that was. And then after St. George, you raced through the summer, you had super consistent results. You were 12th at Boulder 70.3, ninth at Oregon 70.3. And then in December, you headed to California for La Quinta 70.3, and you had a breakthrough there into the top five. So did something change there? Did you get on a time trial bike? Like what, what was the kind of, you know, that is a long break, right? Yeah, so definitely. what was that kind of time in between like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the time trial bike and fit, <laughs> bike fit, like most okay. recently, um, I think I like I think I really minimized, you know, just having an appropriate fit. I think I was being probably a little too cheap too, and just trying to like figure it out myself on my old bike. And so, well, it's so tempting to do that, right? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, it almost is in a way like switching sports. Right. And mm -hmm. so to invest in a whole new bike and then also everything to go along with it is it is, it's, I think a lot of people will relate to how tempting that can be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, you know, the financial piece, like, you know, time trial bikes are really expensive. And so just kind of figuring out like the most cost effective way to do that. And so, yeah, so I was able to get um, a TT bike, like, probably like, again, like three to four weeks before the race. Wow. Okay. Um, and so got a fit, um, which was just so much more comfortable. So I think I was like, I think I was pretty amazed in the race, just like, even, you know, like my upper body didn't hurt at all. And like, it was like, oh, wow, it's like just, you know, leg fatigue, which is what it's kind of supposed to be. Um, so I think that was huge, especially for the run. 
Um, you know, just having like, you know, my, my legs in the appropriate position and hips in the appropriate position. I mean, whole body essentially in the appropriate position. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think that was, that was probably a pretty big piece. And then, and then, I mean, just race experience too, like kind of reflecting on previous races and, um, you know, kind of like knowing a little bit more, um, like what I need to do to be successful in, in that format. And so, you know, for you, does that come down has it been hard to shift your mindset too with the tactics of racing? Because, you know, draft legal, it's obviously, you know, if you're with the front swimmers, you try and stay with the bike pack, right? And then you're you're running and seeing how the run kind of unfolds. And in 70.3, you know, you could be not even seeing very many people around and have no idea where you are. And it, it does change a lot of the mindset around racing. So is that something that you think experience has really just kind of helped you with or just like, has Derek talked to you about that? Like what has mm-hmm. that tactical side of being a pro now? Like how has yeah, that changed? Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think like, you know, half of it is kind of the individual, like we talked about like fuel plan and, um, and it is, you know, it's pretty much just like, what are you, what are you putting out throughout the whole thing? Like there are other pieces with the other athletes, but I guess compared to draft legal, it feels like a little bit more, you know, it, you know, a little bit like you control your own destiny to some extent, if that makes sense. Um, you know, just, to, you know, to a small extent, but then, you know, I think even learning how to kind of ride in a group, I think I was like really scared of being like within that draft zone, to be honest. Um, and so I probably was like, you know, letting a lot of women go in the past on the bike. Um, whereas I think I just kind of learned, you know, how, how beneficial it is working with a group. Um, so that was kind of, I think a big, a big change for me too. I had always heard people saying that, you know, listening to podcasts and different things of, you know, how helpful it is, you know, in the, on the bike. And, um, I think I really kind of got to learn that, um, firsthand at Indian Wells. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the biggest, you know, the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, It really makes it so much more fun when you're like, oh, and it's like a light bulb, like a literal light bulb moment. You're like, oh, (laughs) this is what it is of like how people say you work together in the non-draft racing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so now we have the new year. You clearly have some great, you know, 70.3 experience under your belt, but it hasn't been long since you've been racing draft Mm -hmm. legal racing. So what are your plans for 2024? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think definitely starting, starting with 70.3s, um, the beginning of the year. So, you know, just looking at some of those like early races, Oceanside, um, you know, more of the, the domestic races, um, you know, is kind of the plan for, for the first half of the season. Okay. And then, you know, this is the iron women podcast. So I always love to ask, like, it seems like you transitioned pretty seamlessly to, um, from kind of shorter distance racing into the long course 70.3. Do you have any thoughts of trying Ironman at all in the next coming seasons? Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, my coach and I talked about it. Um, I think like maybe for the first half of the year sticking, you know, sticking with 70.3s and then just kind of, you know, taking things bit by bit and seeing or, you know, seeing how it's, how it's going, but, um, definitely, definitely open to it for sure. I'm always open for trying new things. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and telling us a little bit about kind of your backstory. I think people will love seeing you racing this year and cheering for you. And, um, yeah, I think it's super impressive to be, yeah, balancing it all and kind of doing 
some part-time work while you're really trying to make your way in the pro ranks, but it's working for you. And we can't see, wait to see what you do next season. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. <laughs> All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with, oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year and I used to try hard Kelly and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan dermatologically tested proprietary blend. Try hard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're going to need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of try hard. I think it's like, definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now too, for anyone who wants to try, you know, try, try hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the try hard products with the code 20 feisty. That's two zero feisty for 20% off store-wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20 feisty for 20% off at tryhard.co. Alyssa, it was fun for me to learn a little bit more about Gabby because I actually met one of her Purdue teammates when I was at Disney. I, after I, the half of the half, the half marathon that I ran there, that was only seven miles. I actually met, uh, a couple from Denver who were fast runners and they asked if I knew of Gabby because she's a triathlete. And I said, I was a triathlete and I was like, I don't, but I know she's coming on an upcoming episode of my podcast. <laughs> and so now oh, I feel like I know a little podcast. bit more. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm glad you had already scheduled her and you, uh, you know, got to chat with her and it is what a small world. It is such a small world. I I agree. And um, thanks so much to Gabby for coming on. Best of luck to you in 2024. And Haley, I think now it's time for you to get back to training and waiting for whatever the big Sunday surprise is going to be this weekend. I know. I think the Sunday surprise, again, is going to be an early bedtime, catching up on all of life. Laundry, maybe. I feel like that is what I should be doing with my life because I am not an international pop star, but that's okay. We can't all be that way, but we can enjoy the entertainment they bring. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Atitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.